Hi, my name is Sean Sampson. I'm uh, president and CEO, and I serve on the board of EV Nickel. We're listed on the TSX Venture. Uh, we IPO'd December of last year. And what we are is a company focused on finding uh, good quality nickel sulfide up near Timmins. We have an enormous land package just south of Timmins. We control most of what's referred to as the Shaw Dome. And up there, we are exploring and finding good high-grade mineralization. And also, we think we have an enormous potential for a low-grade, or a, as we call it, large scale. So we're just getting started. We think we have a huge amount of potential on the land we have. Fantastic. Okay, EV Nickel, new story to us. Are you, avo are you avoiding st the stainless steel market? Is that what you're telling us? Uh, yes, you're right. We're <laughs> just focused on the EVs. But we'll produce nickel out of the ground, uh, which will be as clean as we can get. That's right. our thing, clean nickel. Okay. Uh, we'll probably sell it to anybody who wants to buy it. That's what I want to hear. Um, good. <laughs> okay, so you know, IPO'd in uh, 2021, it's uh, so end of 21, December 21. Uh, kind of interesting, interesting time in the market, certainly for nickel prices. Had a good run last year, had a good run this year, and it's going to come off a bit. Um, so uh, we won't talk nickel prices at the moment. I want to focus on your business plan. What, what are you set mm -hmm. up to this? A new company. I'm always intrigued by what do you want to do day one and how that evolves. So, um, but before we do that, let's talk about you. What, what's your background? What's your relevant experience? Sure. Uh, my background is I'm a Canadian kid. I grew up uh, beside Hamilton, Ontario. So in Southern Ontario, uh, I went down to university in the States, went to Harvard for undergrad, uh, came out of there with a lot of student debt and uh, worked for the first five years of my career in capital markets. So I used to trade in New York for Lehman Brothers on the equity desk. And then uh, went over to Eastern Europe and actually lived in Istanbul and did interesting stuff in the Southern CIS, which was more aligned to sort of what I'd done in undergrad in economics, political science. Uh, that was fun. Then I went to graduate school in the UK at Cambridge. And then after that, I came back to Canada and uh, I worked at Bain um, in consulting, but mainly for private equity deals. Did that for five years and sort of continued the business school experience, uh, getting exposed to different industries and really understanding what makes companies tick uh, and really understanding sort of the perspective of the owner, which is the big thing at Bain, managing as an owner. Um, and then came out of that into resources, which is really what sort of makes Canada tick, as you would know very well, Matt, um, and uh, found my way into mining. So I was initially part of the team uh, 15 years ago, who came into Kinross, and uh, after they did the three-way merger and really built that company up, um, that was great. Uh, wonderful exposure to all things mining. That was also where I realized, as a general commercial guy coming into a large mining company, there was a heck of a lot of opportunity because I realized across, especially the Canadian precious miners, there were two groups of people. There were guys who got excited about rocks and trucks geologists and engineers, and then there were investment bankers. And I was neither. Uh, I had worked with an investment bank, but I was a trader. Uh, and I went up the middle as sort of a business guy. And I was doing loads of stuff across Ross. So I spent uh, much of my time on the road, had lots of the commercial people at each of our operations around the world reporting to me. And that was a wonderful introduction to the mining business, sort of high and low. Um, and after five years, a group of us disagreed with one of the transactions the company did, and we'd left which was the right time to do that. Um, what was not the right time to do was we jumped into a nickel junior called First Nickel, uh, just as the nickel market was beginning to hit the skids. So we, we ran a deep underground mine outside of Sudbury. Um, I actually was the COO for six months, which was interesting. Uh, but with our, our team, uh, we were owned by Resource Capital Fund, so the very large mining-focused private equity fund. 
And we were really running the operation near Sudbury, but we were also inside and doing due diligence on, we did over 50 presentations up to the investment committee at Resource Capital Fund to find more assets. We were never able to get in choppy markets, anything across the line, but for those four or five years, um, it was sort of my introduction to the juniors, which was uh, a very interesting place to be. Um, and then when First Nickel finally sort of ran aground with the nickel price being as soft as it was, um, with the geologist from there, I came out to a company called Rogue Resources. And we took over another fellow's um, shell. And uh, we continue to run Rogue Resources. We kind of run it like a private company, but half the stock is held by uh, friends and family, probably defined. But within Rogue Resources, we had a really interesting nickel asset up in Timmins. And my partner, my VP of exploration, Paul Davis, had spent over 20 years of his career up in Timmins as uh, a guy looking for nickel in a gold camp. So he had initially staked, he had discovered a bunch of deposits up there, but at the time they were always looking for 0.6 or better grade, um, or they moved on, Odukompu did. Um, but Paul, my, my, my partner, has a deep understanding of the Timmins camp and especially the Shaw Dome and the Kamadiates that we're down in. Um, so with Paul, I spun out the nickel asset from Rogue Resources. We found some additional seed money from a founders group, um, and we have this new company, EV Nickel, which is, uh, which is hugely interesting. Okay. So that's sort of a yeah. drive-by of what I've done, uh, but I'm a commercial uh, person who puts businesses together uh, and attracts capital and sort of sets a strategy and directs it in a, in a way. And I've got a wonderful technical team alongside me. Okay. And I want to talk about them. And I do want to talk about Timlands and the asset you've got there. Just sticking with you for a bit longer. Um, I get the kind of consultancy background, similar. Ditto, might know a few people, Bain, um, each, uh, that, that we know each. Um, Kinross, big boy territory, um, and the timing of, of Rogue did, kind of didn't work out. Nickel market wasn't, mm -hmm. sorry, for, for us, Nickel, and then, and then Rogue wasn't really doing it for you, right? So what have you learned along the way? Because you, you kind of, in terms of timing, with, with the IPO in December, you've, you've hit the market at a, a kind of funny, wonky time as, as well in terms of, you know, it's, it's kind of been risk off since, let's say, end of, end of February. Are there any, yeah. anything that you're bringing from previous experience into a market like this of one, you know, how to survive, how to advance projects, how to raise capital? Because obviously the markets are quite unkind to most people at the moment, but what gives you confidence that yeah. you can do it? Yeah, my thing is I am focused on doing what I said I was going to do and, and keeping us moving forward. So our business plan, when we began the company last year and initially took in private money in around uh, last spring, uh, 2021, we uh, we set out our plan. Our plan was to pull together um, more land on the Shaw Dome from our initial land package that we were getting from Rogue and, and prove out that the existing resource there was bigger than we knew. Um, and then once we bolt on more land, try to figure out what more is there. So I had the high, low, high grade, low grade strategy in mind from last year before we even had the land on our books. So I, I see the importance of um, setting a strategy and following it. So that's all separate, of course, from the stuff I don't control, which is uh, the markets. And as you say, it's been a really rough run. Um, but the important thing for me was half of our private raise last spring and half of our IPO in December and a big chunk 
of our flow through we just did, so our three rounds of financing, were all done with institutional money. So small Toronto-based institutions who signed up again uh, for each of our raises, even though uh, they've lost significant money since that IPO, especially. So those folks recognize the uh, fact that we're executing on our strategy. And if you believe the macro, that the nickel demand for nickel sulfide, especially clean nickel, that you can get with a low carbon cost is there, then that's what we're building towards. Right. And so mm. we're, we're, we're running towards that. Okay, so you, you, you're sticking with the plan and the people yeah. who invested pri private IPO and subsequent are following that plan. They're trusting you and they're backing yeah. you. Can you can you break that down for me? Because you talk you talk about sort of between management board and friends and family about thirty percent, which is a, which is a, was a big chunk. But um, does that include the rogue component or is that separate? Yeah, so the twenty five percent. So that includes. So when I say friends and family broadly defined, it includes the chunk of the rogue stock, okay. which is friends and family. Okay. So between that board members. Um, and then a couple of others in the founders group. That's how we get to about a quarter of our float is in friends and family. Gotcha. Okay. And and so is the, is the, how much of the rest of it? Just break down the show register for me in, in the sense of between whether if there is any institutional, you know, and what type of institutional and what's retail. Yeah. So we're 42 million shares. Uh, we, uh, we're a quarter friends and family broadly defined. I've got um, a couple uh small Toronto institutions that are bumping up against 10%. So that would be like another 20%, getting us up to about half the float. Um, I think about between a third and a half sits in retail high net worth hands. Right. Uh, that, that said, Matt, there's been so much trading that it's, it's tough to put my finger on exactly where the registry is. Uh, I know where the shares went and I know who signed up for subsequent rounds and how much they had. Um, so that's how I sort of wrap my hands around where it is. But we have a big chunk in the retail high network. Right. Okay. All right. Let, let, let's, let's, I'm sorry. Um, we, you, you did talk about, um, Paul, but who are the other sort of notable active, um, yeah. So the, the, the real gem is, is Paul Davis, who right. did his masters on this exact type of rock, spent all this time up in Timmins, has spent time down in Australia on what we think our comparable is, the Combalda Dome. Um, and then we have another close colleague of both of ours, uh, Phil Vicker, who was many years at Falcon Bridge, um, up at Raglan. Um, the type of uh, geology we have, we anticipate our deposits and flows. And Phil's our guy on the ground running the drill program. Got so it. I was in Timmins this week with Paul, with Phil. Uh, it's the three of us running the exploration. Okay. Okay. So he's the ex Falcon Bridge guy. Okay. That's, that's and then we'll bolt more onto the team. So one of the things about the background of having worked in large miners, um, and also having run juniors before is we have a bunch in our stable. And I, I recognize that very soon we need to be adding to the team as we begin talking about not just exploration, but more properly a project. Um, so we'll be moving things along quickly. Because the other thing about the Shaw Dome is there is there are two permitted mills right nearby to our mineralization. One is operating now as a toll milling operation, sort of opportunistic, and that's privately held by the company from whom we did a land deal earlier this year to triple our land package. So we're very friendly and we actually locate our exploration at that mill. So um, they are looking for feed. And they also have additional deposits on the Shaw Dome on which we can either partner or potentially 
do subsequent acquisitions. Okay. So I want to be moving towards an actual clean nickel business. And I know team-wise that I need to bolt people onto that. And we have people in mind and we've got our eyes open about what we require. Okay, okay. And I think I know Stephen Delaney from his Beacon days um, as well. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Uh, so Steve's yeah. um, been with us for many years. He used to be on the Rogue board. Now he's on the EV Nickel board. Yeah. Uh, very well connected Toronto banker in that sort of tier that focuses on companies, growth companies of our size. Yeah, 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 no, good guy. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about this this two-tier approach, okay? Um, let's get into the asset, right? Um, you, you're talking about, you know, you kind of got a high-grade component, I've seen some of the headlines, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, nearly 3% 3, 3 nickel over, you know, five and a half meters, you're talking, you know, just over 48 and a half meters at 1.3 nickel. So you're definitely kind of getting those high grade numbers in there, um, which obviously this early stage is hard to kind of, you know, talk about whether they're economic or not, but one would hope so. Um, and then you've kind of got this low grade component and we're thinking about um, companies like so Canada Nickel where they've kind of got these low grade sulfide projects. So you've got both going on there. So how do, how do you come at that? Sorry, how, how we got it? We, we well, no, no, so, I know you pulled together the land package, which is great, but yep. you know, you, you, you've got a plan, right? Right Today, as it stands, you're a five million dollar <laughs> company. You've raised 2.2 in a private placement recently. Yep. Money's tight. You've got to spend money wisely and prudently. How do you go after both of those options from where you're from a almost standing start from where you are now and kind of move this forward? Yeah. So that's a great question. Prioritizing the, the targets is, uh, is one of our biggest things. So uh, it's not just where we have been drilling with the high grade and then where we're up with the large scale now, the Car Lang. It's also, we've, we've been doing a, a review for the group out of the States, uh, Condor, um, that reruns all of the known mag data and the whole place lights up. So we have tremendous potential on high grade targets. So your question is, is right on the money. So how do I prioritize? So what I'm working towards is a new technical report next year in which we'll do the whole Shaw Dome and we'll have a new resource on our starter resource, which is the W4, which we just announced over the past couple of weeks that yep. it, it goes deeper with great hits. So that W4, we anticipate based on this most recent drilling goes deeper. Plus we know from last year's drilling, it goes broader. Uh, that'll be a bigger resource in next year's tech report. That's what we anticipate. Okay. Then in next year's tech report, we also want to have a resource, an indicator resource on Car Lang. So the, the low grade, the large scale, and it'll be a big number. It'll be, uh, we talk a lot in our, in our IR slides of the comparison between that Crawford main zone that Canada Nichols had tremendous success with overlaid on what we're drilling now. And we think we have something that should rival that. We think the potential up there is many times multiple of the Crawford main zone. But then we'll get into the specifics on that low grade, that large scale, about stuff like overburden. So we've got outcrop, which is neat because um, that means beating 15, 20%, we were walking over it this week, is above surface, which means on average, we're going to be inside of 10 meters of overburden, which is a big difference if you're going down through 40 meters of overburden, let's say. Um, to get to material, it's only 0.25. That's a tricky economics versus we think our grade's gonna be a little higher than 0.25. And when I say a little higher at 0.35, it's a very material difference. So I think overburden wise, grade wise, we've got tremendous potential up there with Carlang. 
And the other thing, Matt, which is really neat, is a lot of projects around Timmins, you have to chopper your crews in to fly, which gets expensive. And it speaks to sort of the complexity of turning the click and the switch going into operations. For ours, it's all been deforested. So this week we were driving pickups up to the drill rig. So those two tracks, we're doing them together. That probably sounds a little sort of naive for a junior with a $5 billion equity value to say, well, we're gonna try to do everything. But we're methodically doing at least those two. And they're gonna be in for a new technical report next year, which will allow us to talk about, we anticipate big numbers on a car laying resource from the drilling we're doing right now, and then a bigger W4. Um, and then we'll see where we go from there once we've got sort of more nickel on the books. Okay, for, the, for those um, you know, listen to our weekly battery show, they'll, they'll, they'll understand this, but maybe for the wider audience who, who, who don't, um, explain the, the, the cost of the, the drilling to add um, you know, uh, nickel to the resource. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's seemingly a little bit cheaper and a little bit easier because you don't need to do as much drilling. Maybe you can explain that yeah. to people. Yeah, so we are... Uh, so it's all about the 43101 and the, the density of the drilling. So when I say we've released on W4, our high-grade deposit, our known high-grade deposit, we're talking about hits, uh, which are below the existing historic resource. Um, but we are going to come back on those hits at the beginning of next year to increase our drill density. Uh, and then we anticipate that will lead to an indicated resource next year. Up on the Car Lang, which is this broad, drawn-out dunites, uh, we're going with 150 to 200 meter drill spacing. And we've worked through this all with our external QP, the guy who's going to be doing our resource next year. And we, we pre-planned our, our drill program. But when you're doing these big homogenous deposits, and we've got a big advantage because we can see them at surface as well. So we've done a bunch of sampling from the outcrop. And when I talk about 0.3 or better, that's actually from historical sampling of the outcrop. And it's uh, drill spacing that's very broad uh, and very easily accessible. So my cost of drilling on a per meter basis, all in, all in, and a lot of guys play games with this and exclude assays and exclude owner's cost, but all in, all in, I'm roughly $250 per meter. Right. So I tell investors that so they can figure out sort of how we're going to spend money. So we know that we anticipate an 8,000 meter drill program on the car Lang will get us what we need to be able to pull a resource for next year. Right. Those are, it's, it's enormous, right? We were up there today or this week and it's, it's many football fields, right? And what we're going after is uh, again, the Crawford main zone at CNC, which they've had wonderful success with. That's really 1.8 kilometers by 360 meters wide. What we have is six kilometers and four kilometers up on this car Lang, one of our big targets. Which is, which is huge. And it's all been clear cut where we are. And again, we're doing it with 200 meters spacing between the holes. And we think it will give us a good representative data set to be able to create that resource for next year. Right. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah it does. I, I, it's just really that sort of, um, when people are used to sort of investing into, into precious metals or well, other metals, um, they're used to, you know, infill drilling and having to be, you know, you know, 50 meter spacing or 25 meter spacing, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Here you can go 200 meters and add tonnage um, to yeah. 43101. And that is considered okay as far as um, nickel sulfides is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, it's apples and oranges between our, our large scale, which is this homogenous mineralization yeah. 
for which, you know, we look at the core and we have box after box after box of yeah. lovely green dunites. Um, and, and we also take many more samples now. So we send a lot more of that core off to the lab. Um, so we have longer spacing, but more, more samples down the hole that go to the lab. If that helps. Right. But, but that's apples and oranges it, versus it, the high grade, which it, is, it is. You've got to input. It, it, it is. So again, coming back to that, that question of, of the kind of focus component, when you sort of see what other people are doing with nickel sulfides and, you know, building up these tonnages, which are attractive because they're, they're multi-decade um, resources for the kind of big balance sheet companies which are attracted to mm -hmm. that, whether it be battery manufacturers or, quite frankly, it feels like the OEMs are stepping up to the plate as well. Um, yeah. Is it, does it make better sense to spend your dollars there than chasing the high grade stuff? Yeah, so I, 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 I see and plan out till the end of next year, which is I anticipate having a new tech report, which should have a resource, a new resource up on that uh, high, the low grade, large scale up in our Northeast, and then the high grade mineralization with something bigger. Um, so what happens after that? Uh, not sure. Okay. So um, I do know that I, I'm pretty confident we're doing all the right things as someone who used to work at a major who bought juniors as part of our growth. Um, we're doing the things that will be the right things. So we could hand that business off to a major and, and very, and very clearly that large scale deposit, um, that would not work with the two existing permitted plants on the Shaw Dome currently. So that, that's a different league, right? When you're talking about, um, a billion ton resource. Um, that that's a big boy resource for which you need to build big boy processing. And that likely requires a big boy. Exactly. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we've got the high grade. Yeah. Uh, there's other high grade mineralization nearby and there's a permitted operating plant nearby. So that's, I, I, but this I, is my I point. This is my point. I, this is this is why I need, need to know what's going on in your head. You, you've come from a kind of Kinross background. You, you know what big boys want to see, right? It's a very different language from what the market wants to see, which is tell me that it's all going to be fine, please. Hold my hand and tell me it's mm -hmm. going to be fine, and I'll give you some more money to do what you need to do. The big boys are like, just drill, give me the data, and I'll work out whether it's going to be fit for purpose for us. Yeah. It, Two different audiences that you're you're talking to, and again, when you're starting down at this end, unless you've got a root end of capital and you can do something about the liquidity, kind of drive the share price back up to, you know, nearer the IPO levels, it, it, it's a balancing act, right? It is. It really is. And and again, that's our our, and and even beyond what we're talking about right now is what I mentioned before about all the other potential high grade targets, you know, and whether we want to sort of chase that shining light. Um, so our thing is we are executing on this towards the tech report for next year. And I, it doesn't take a whole lot of investment for us to be able to put up some numbers, which puts us into that, that game, that game of we potentially have a billion tons, but that's, that is a different game. And, you know, your earlier question about what have I learned in my career? I've learned that that game doesn't always make you money, right? So even at the big boys, they don't always necessarily be making money. I'm confident we can cobble together a money-making business with the type of mineralization that has historically been turned into mines, and that's my high-grade business. So we're going to continue down both tracks. We'll be able to hope, hopefully put up numbers next year, which gets a foot into that uh, large-scale game. But a company that's sitting at you know five to eight million dollar equity value 
uh, in the summer of 2022 is not going to be in a position, I anticipate, to advance a large-scale project, you know, with any realism. Because again, that's 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 a big, big time thing. But we've got the mineralization, I think, and I want to get that into a report and have that ready for us to either partner or work with others or really build our company to be able to run that. Meanwhile, I've got the high grade, which I'm confident we can move along. And with the processing that's on the Shaw Dome, plus other deposits on the Shaw Dome, we could have ourselves a very interesting, interesting clean, uh, clean nickel business. Okay, let's get, let's talk clean. Um, uh, carbon capture, sequestration, net yeah. zero, whatever you want to frame it as. And you're also talking the language of bio-leaching. Are those kind of a, a distraction really um, from, from the main um, story here? Do, do, you, do you feel, are you getting any credit for it? Do people understand it? Why bother talking about it at this stage? Well, I'll pick it. Let's go in sequence. Um, I don't think I'm getting any credit for anything. So <laughs> put that to the side. So we're, we're not just doing things for credit because clearly we're not getting any credit. Um, the clean nickel thing really is in the DNA of our company. So the reason I'm interested in this nickel is because of the decarbonization thing. And conveniently, from a macro basis, I, I think we're going to have a strong long-term nickel price because of that, because of the new demand coming into the space. And when you talk to that new demand, sort of back to your first observation of we're EV nickel not focused on stainless, you know, we're going to produce the lowest possible carbon price, uh, carbon cost nickel. That's, that's our thing. Um, that's our thing because we think it's the right thing to do. That's also our thing because we think that's where the market's going, right? So with the new legislation in Europe, for example, right, we're two years out from EVs being stamped with the full footprint every time they're sold. In the Americas and in Asia, folks think that that legislation is going to be matched. When you talk to the EV companies and you talk to the battery companies, it's not just the nice to have, right, the, the low carbon focus of what your operation is going to be. It's a need to have because they require it. They are being forced to disclose it just in a couple of years in a major market for them, Europe. So it's in the DNA of our company. Clean nickel is our thing. We've trademarked it, that and EV nickel. But clean nickel, and for us, you know, you mentioned the sequestration. We've got that. These dunites up on the Carlang, um, we're testing that. We're testing actually our W4 rock with the lab out at UBC. We're having great results from that. Um, but the thing about the carbon capture is going to be, it's for our business, I anticipate, if we can start our business with a higher grade than this really super low grade, it's a nice to have, the carbon credits. It's not a need to have in our economics. But I'm confident that we'll be able to capture the carbon off of our rock. Um, you know, I have a wonderful sample that we picked up this week from these uh, outcrops, which is already got the crust on it, got the carbon crust on it. And it, it ch chipped it off from the rock. You see on one side, probably a 0.3% nickel dunite. On the other side, it's got the white carbon crust. So I'm confident we can do the carbon capture, but that's sort of one piece of our clean nickel thing. You know, backing it up to the mining operations will electrify everything. Where we're located, we draw on hydropower, just like everybody else around the Timmins camp. So everything we can electrify uh, doesn't have that carbon cost attached to it. This bio-leaching, we've done a lot of work on bio-leaching. We're with the smartest guys in the world on that at some Canadian labs. I anticipate the bio-leaching will be something that will tack on to the end of a more traditional uh, flow sheet. But what that should be allowed us to do is to produce nickel sulfate from the mine, which is the sort of thing you sell directly to the battery company. So 
from my perspective, it takes out the requirement to involve a smelter, right? So it's very appealing for me if we can figure out the science of having a product leave our site uh, that we can sell directly to the battery companies. And that's really how government's going and the battery companies and the EV companies are going, that they want to simplify the supply chain. And I think using bioleaching is a way for us to do that. Do you feel, do you feel that it's um, mining companies, yourselves, are a little bit guilty of making this a bit of a science project and therefore making it not readily accessible because as an investor, I kind of want to hear you doing things because it's going to make you money or make me money mm-hmm. more importantly. Um, you know, so bioleaching is good because it's going to add something to the bottom line. Carbon credits is good because it's going to add something to the bottom line. Um, we're focused on EV thematic because, um, we're going to be able to charge a premium for our product that, you know, those, those sorts of messages I can understand. It makes make sense to me, but do you feel like kind of mining as a whole is perhaps guilty of maybe, you know, navel gazing a little bit? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I, <clears throat> I have observations about our industry. I think for too long, we have been skating along, you know, putting lipstick on a pig from the um, ESG perspective and never really taking it seriously. But it's interesting, right? Like now there, I'm in a, me- I'm in a metal where there's going to be a radical change to supply demand balance. There's a whole new demand category coming on. And the gap, the demand category is, is asking serious questions because of like legislation in front of them. Like they have to. So when you talk to the guys from the EV companies who are out there trying to secure all this metal, you know, they're asking different questions than the Chinese smelters have been asking to make frying pans for Walmart. You know, it, it's a game changer, um, what we need to produce going forward. It's not just a commodity. It's really going to become a commodity plus. You mentioned before potential premium for cleanest nickel. Um, you know, I, I see that coming down the pipe. If not a price differential, then um, there'll be some in these conversations to supply and, and some who will not. So back to like how our industry is reacting to it. It's not just sort of nice to have and something for the ESG report. It becomes very real from a commercial perspective when your buyers, this is their first and foremost thing. Um, so as an industry, I don't think, and this is what creates an opportunity for small companies like mine. I don't think as an industry, we, we've really uh, reacted to it. And there's a number of reasons for that, right? Like um, uh, there's, there's a whole rigid supply chain that's developed, right? That uh, just south of us in Sudbury, you have a significant chunk of the world's nickel sulfides coming out of the ground and it, it goes to Europe to be re- further refined and then goes on to Asia. And you see quotes, and we've got one in our IR slides from Musk at Tesla, where all Nickel Juniors latch on to him having said, I need more nickel, we need more nickel. But there's another very interesting observation he made, and I've heard this from the EV guys when we meet with them, which is they don't understand how the current nickel supply chain has evolved, right? And the reason is it's evolved sort of blind to what the carbon cost is. So back to your observation, you know, as an industry, have we too often just sort of uh, moved along and not paid real attention to it? I think we are guilty of that. Um, and it is very real when you talk to the EV companies, the battery companies, that they're out ahead on this. And for us, the people who need to find the critical supply for them, we often need to catch up. So it's back to this clean nickel thing, at least in the company I run and the way I'm uh, setting things up, it's in our DNA from the start. Right, okay. And then, and do you feel that you can do that without adding unnecessary cost at a, at a time in your 
uh, evolution where you need every single dollar. Where money's tight. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, that's a great question. So we, we are running a very active R and D program, especially on the, um, bio leaching sequestration plus the electrification. Um, but we are also very actively chasing government funding for that. Right. So, uh, we're registered lobbyists at the federal and the provincial level. And it's not just for free money to help my company along. It's for them to partner on this R and D that we're advancing. So frankly, it's, it's very little dollars out of the kitty from what I've raised from our external investors. We're, we're partnering where we can. Um, and we're, we're moving that R and D along. So I say it's core to our company, but I'm spending, you know, closer to a hundred cent dollars on my drilling. Uh, it's far lower than that on my, my R and D. And we're getting great results. So I'm really excited to start getting that stuff from the labs and being able to talk about it more. And then that's also going to go in next year's tech report because, you know, mining company, I need it in 43101 form. It'll all be in that uh, where we stand on each of the levers we're trying to work on the clean nickel. So what's, what's your chance of survival through this dip? Well, we did a raise um, earlier this summer, uh, flow through big chunk from our existing investors. Uh, that that really that really pays for everything I have planned for this year. So I think survival-wise, we're we're in very good shape. We are a small, uh, lean company. Almost everything's going into the ground, so that's our thing. Uh, tight share structure. We're funded for this year. Um, my chance of survival, I think, is is pretty good. Okay, and um, how do I make money? Well, I think folks get in now. Uh, you know, I've also got when we look at our valuation comparables. It's somewhat absurd that I show us at five or eight million and Talon at 365 million. And I think we have mineralization similar to their high grade mineralization in Minnesota across my land package. And I'd be much more comfortable permitting in Northern Ontario than in Minnesota. Also on our comps, I compare us to, you know, Canada Nichols had wonderful success. You know, they're up at 200 million and we're at five to eight. And it's pretty compelling when you look at what I can talk about now, which is, you know, the historic work that's been done on our project, I genuinely believe we have multiples of their Crawford main zone. So it's all crapshoot at our sort of level, uh, but I'm very confident we are undervalued at this point. So how does an investor make money? They dig in and get a little smarter on our story and do their own work about all that you're hearing me talk about. But I think when you dig into it and you get into the facts, we're at a point right now where we've got a huge amount of potential ahead of us. And even where we stand today, I think we're deeply undervalued. So we've got catalysts ahead of us. We're drilling every day. Uh, we're talking now through this summer about stuff we did last few months. We're into this drill drill program up on the large scale. That'll be our news from sort of September to November. Um, and then we're drilling more high grade targets, including going into the W4 again. Plus there's more M&A to be done. So I'm continuing to work on more pieces of land around the Shaw Dome. And there's already mineralization on the books that's owned by our private neighbors. So there's, there's a lot of things we can be doing. There's a ton of catalysts between now and this tech report I'm talking about at the end of next year. Um, but, you know, we're just getting started. The market has been terrible and hasn't really been paying attention. You see that when we put up drill results. Our stock really doesn't move. Um, but eventually, I think the dam is going to break. Bad analogy for miners. Uh, but I think that the, the, the news flow is eventually going to get picked up on by people.